strange things did happen here No stranger would it be If we met up at midnight In the hanging tree We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here. Abe is out sick this week, and so get better, Abe. Certainly feel better, but uh, we'll march on without you for the time being. That said, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into film, but you're most support for your review with the cable commentary track or some other film movie topic. This is episode 556, 556, and this week we are talking The Hunger Games, colon, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I guess that's the way you can read that, put the emphasis in the right places. But um, here we go. Let's do this. We're going to talk this movie. Joining me to discuss such things we have from the podcast, Let's Slay with Swell and Jay, heading right for the crossbow. It's Maxwell Hatted. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Thank you for having me. Of course. Good to have you back on here. And uh, also joining us from FirstShowing.net, currently trying to secure the rights to Hunger Games Deutschland edition. It's Alex Billington. Hello. Hello. I am here. Alex, good to hear from you as well. How are you? I'm in the middle of Pan Am in the capital trying to survive and do my best to overthrow the... Oh, they're taking me now. Goodbye. That was District 7. Uh, that was intense. That was unexpected. <laughs> no, glad to have you guys here. Looking forward to talking about this film and all the other silly stuff we do on this show this week. But let's get some show notes real quick. First up, um, it is, as Abe constantly refers to it as, Noir-vember right now. We're in the middle of Noir-vember. And um, we have a commentary track coming that's going to celebrate the fact that it is a November. We're this month we do a commentary track every month. This month we are going for Shadow of a Doubt, Alfred Hitchcock's Ooh. Shadow of a Doubt, celebrating its 80th anniversary, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but we thought this would be fun, um, and that we're, we're recording that this very night, actually. So stay tuned for our upcoming commentary track for that classic Hitchcock film. And uh, along with that bonus show, we have plenty of bonus shows on the way in general because of so many movies that are on the arriving in theaters right now during award season and all that. Uh, we already released bonus episodes for The Killer and The Holdovers. And stay tuned for more. I believe Next School Wins might get a bonus one. I think Saltburn will probably get a bonus episode. Uh, perhaps Maestro as well. Assuming some of these don't get like uh, full episodes on their own, but there's just so many movies. So we want to make sure to address all these various award contenders and just major films in general that we don't want to let slip under the radar and you know with only like a few minutes to cover it or what have you so stay tuned um all of that can be found on itunes where you can find all of our podcasts as well as spotify and i mentioned both of those things because in addition to finding our shows there and being the most common ways people listen to podcasts you can also give us a rating and review which would be wonderful you wanted to click on whatever tabs are required to get to said section you can do just that you can give us a rating write some words about us and all that and that'd be great it pops up on the old itunes charts and uh you know and inspire abe and i could, could continue having the silly fun that we do with the various guests that we get so thank you in advance for that uh guys before i get to like the show i feel like it's important to bring up something that happened this week and I'll, you know i know there's a lot of news out there and i'm gonna surprise you off guard with this one but James Cameron announced 4Ks for all of his movies, and it's so oh. exciting to hear. And I just want to know what your guys' takes are on this. Naturally. I had, I had, I had no idea where you're going with that. I was like, "There's so much news." Uh, listen, I've been uh, the Abyss in particular is the one that I think it's thrilling. That's finally going to be able to see in a preserved fashion. Uh, you know, that movie has been you know somewhat inaccessible. Um, but yeah. Uh, I think people have been clamoring for, you know, 4Ks of Cameron's 
uh, older films for a long time. And it was like, I feel like he's working on them, but then he's like making Avatar 3 and I don't know. So it's exciting. I think uh, collectors and, and fans of his films will be really excited to uh, to see what they do with uh, with these discs. And I think some of them are coming to theaters also, which will be fun. Yeah, uh, The Abyss is getting a one night only uh, screening in theaters across, at least in America, um, uh, which is cool for people that just never seen The Abyss. I haven't seen The Abyss in theaters, so I mean, that's something to look forward to right there alex are you excited about the, the yeah no of course of course it's awesome i'm i'm with everyone else i've like been waiting for it i'm a huge fan of abyss i'm um uh, i'm also a huge fan of true lies which i guess is finally getting the 4k treatment too also also uh i'll, I'll throw this in here apparently kindergarten cop <laughs> related to true lies but not exactly is kino also has getting a, a 4k treatment kino yeah. has a 4k kindergarten yeah. cop coming out which i immediately which pre-ordered yeah <laughs> i'm super pumped i'm super pumped about all of these i mean the, the funniest thing is that when they announced this um uh screening series the uh, the one-off event that you just mentioned uh-huh. uh i was like i was saying this is obviously a precursor to them announcing the blu-rays and people were still so doubtful that they're like no no I, I don't believe it i don't believe it and then it was like two days later they finally announced the blu-rays and i was like come on of course this was them about to announce this like i think people were so doubtful that cameron would have finally finished getting these ready and i and i don't know the process but the good thing at least from one of the reports online was that it's like fully special feature packed tons of things on the discs prop like apparently every single version of I all can, movies i can clarify all this for you right now yeah the, um so yes uh titanic was already announced earlier you know a few months back but it, it but it has its 4k release coming out and like there's tons of special features of like there's a commemorative set edition or what have you We already knew that one um the the big ones obviously are yes the abyss uh both the theatrical and the special edition arriving exactly in one, yeah one big package uh complete with uh, a couple new extra features everything except aliens has new extra features on it as far as the bonuses go um but yeah the abyss is coming out to well, both versions on there on 4k true lies is coming out uh with a couple new extras uh and yes obviously be the thing with true lies is it's had a it's had a DVD that was pan and scan forever. <laughs> it's like oh, oh yeah, beautiful, it, like to the point of I don't want to watch this movie. <laughs> like I can't yeah, do course, this until like there's something better for me to do it. So I haven't I haven't actually seen True Lies in such a long time at this point because I've been like holding out. Uh, but yeah, True Lies gets its 4K. Aliens, um, yes, has it has both the theatrical and the extended cut uh, coming out on 4K. Uh, finally, because Alien came out on 4K a while ago at this point, so Aliens is finally getting the follow up. And I know everyone's can't, just sitting on their pins and needles to wait for Alien Three and Alien Resurrection. Uh, I was thinking about what you said, and I think the only time I've seen True Lies in the last, you know, 15 years is when uh-huh. it, I happened to catch it on like AMC or something. Yeah, or like it'll go like on the streamers every now and then in HD. I mean, it doesn't look terrible, but it's like. The fact that the only home video version of it is this pan and scan DVD, and it, it's and like, it, oh it's my not god, some, it's not some underseen. It's like it was a major film with a major, major stars in it. It's not like some old foreign film that it understandably is not that accessible. It's True Lies, yeah. It's Schwarzenegger, right, exactly. guys. What, what are you doing? What are yeah, you doing? Exactly. Um, yeah. So Aliens coming, and then uh, a- Avatar. Um, the yeah, also the, the original Avatar. Uh, which came out on 4K bef- shortly before, or, or no, at the same time that Way of a Way of Water came out on 4K. Now it's getting another edition where uh, that version only had the theatrical cut of Avatar. This version has all three cuts of Avatar. The mm. the theatrical, which I didn't, cut. I didn't even know there were three cuts. Yeah, the the theatrical, 
the extended cut and then like the i forget what it's called like the special commemorative cut or something like that oh, okay, uh, okay. but the, yeah all three of those are now in 4k with even more extras and then avatar way of water also gets a collector's edition um <laughs> that still only has the one version of that movie because i feel like cameron was like we we got what we needed <laughs> with that one <laughs> um but it has like that 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 uh that 4k was already packed with extras and this is like we had more and there's now like more hours pictures <laughs> for avatar the Jesus. way of water as well uh so uh physical media collectors which i am certainly one of have a mm-hmm. lot to look forward to this uh coming december and march when all these things uh finally arrive uh yeah my my point is that whatever Cameron did, he it seems like he literally is listening to the fans being like, oh, okay, I'll only do these when we do them correctly with like everything they possibly want on them. Because, you know, they shortchange and, and double dip a lot of stuff recently. But Cameron's like, no, 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 no. And I think that's like a testament to actually Cameron being a good guy is that instead of just being like, okay, fine, we'll release it on 4K with no special features. He's like, everything will be correct on all these releases or I won't approve them. Yeah. It's great. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh... I feel like once he finished Way of Water, that's when he was like, I have a break. <laughs> I can like I can, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can actually do they, the work on these other two movies. I, I I'm almost wondering if it was a he was the the strike was a function of it too. Like he was couldn't do too much work on the next one. So he's like, Well, I can do this. Probably didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. Probably didn't hurt. Could get those reshoots of spider. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yo, don't be dissing well, Spider on you. I've never did. If that. I bring up Spider, it's because of admiration. Okay, okay. Uh, good. He's no Paya Khan, obviously, the best movie character of 2022. But, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But, 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 you know, I've seen him pop up a lot lately. It's that kid that plays Spider. All the oh, Avatar good. kids have been popping up in movies, actually. I keep seeing like their names. I'm like, who is, the, what do I know him from? It's like, oh, that. He was covered in blue last time I saw him. So never mind. But, uh, yeah, all right. So I wanted to get the James Cameron thing on the record here because that is exciting news uh, for people yeah. like us that you know appreciate home releases and directors that actually want to share as much as they can about their films. Um, Spielberg, uh, <laughs> he he doesn't like to talk about how he makes his movies. He he calls it movie magic. And I'm like, come on, give us a commentary. That'd be fun. <laughs> Do a commentary to other movies. You know, to jump on. I don't know. Jump on Apocalypse Now for a commentary. I like to hear what Spielberg has to say. Not a popular. Him and Francis do that. Anyway, that's just showing us. Let's move on. Let's um. Let's get to some. Uh, let's get to some out now quickies. Tmi, we're each week out now. We 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 talk about quickies. Yeah, sped through that one. Um, Maxwell, let's start with you. What have you been watching recently? Uh not too much. But uh, the one film I will highlight, and you mentioned it uh, as a bonus episode, is the holdovers. I love this film. I didn't realize I had been waiting 20 years for Giamatti and, and Payne to reteam, but uh, it is just a warm and also sort of acerbic and and uh, holiday, I think, new holiday classic with uh, some really sharp writing, uh, three really terrific performances. And it gave me the um, the holiday vibes in a way I wasn't expecting. Big fan of the holdovers. It's fun that you point out the fact that it's like a new holiday classic because it's, you know, it's a comedy and a drama but like it's not one that necessarily i i couldn't offhand think like this is definitely you know this joins elf and christmas story is like the film i will pick up every christmas but Abe and i were talking about that on our episode where it's like no this is a one where i'd be like i'd specifically like to watch this during the holidays i think it has that kind yeah. of emotional pull in the right sort of ways that's a bit more complex than the average holiday movie yeah i think a lot of people during the holiday seasons their mood tends to be more somewhere at the fulcrum point between like holiday joy and seasonal depression and malaise. 
-hmm. And I think this movie's tone actually is probably more reflective of how a lot of people are feeling this time of year, um, which might make it something people come back to and revisit and and see themselves in. You know, I like Elf and the other movies you mentioned, and sometimes you do want to watch those, but I think it's nice also to have other choices. Like It's a Wonderful Life is is a perennial holiday classic, and that is not a joy, uh, you know, constantly joyous movie. It's a suicide allegory in many ways. So it's not new territory for the holdovers. Yeah. Glad you liked it. It's a very good movie. Yeah. Alex, what have you been watching recently? Well, I just got back from a film festival. Um, in uh, I won't even spend much time on it because uh, I didn't see a lot of good films, but I went, uh, it was a film festival in Estonia called the Tallinn Black Knights Film Festival. Um, and the best of what I saw there was a Spanish film called Close Your Eyes. So if you come across this, I highly recommend it. Uh, in the meantime, I've been, because it's now award season, end of the year, I've been catching up on a lot of other stuff. Um, and uh, the two I should mention, um, before I get to the bad one I didn't like, is first off, I saw All of Us Strangers. Okay. Uh, this uh, Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott um, kind of gay drama where they hook up, but there's more going on with Andrew Scott and his parents. Um, and I liked it. I think it's a very technically well done film, like very beautiful. It balances this dramatic notes between what's happening with um, Andrew Scott's character as he's dealing with the, the grief of his parents and what's going on with them and memory and all this. It just didn't emotionally move me in a way that uh, I've seen a lot of critics say it'll probably be their number one of the year. Um, and I certainly can admire and respect the film for that sense. It just didn't move me enough to put it on my top 10. But um, I still think it's a very lovely film and very, very nice in how it uh, handles this story, which I think is pretty like, like, there's not a lot of similar to it this year. Um, I don't know if you've seen it yet. Have you guys seen it? Have not seen it yet, no. Okay. Not yet, no, but I, I love the filmmaker, I, uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Who's the director? Yeah. Andrew Hay, he did Weekend, which was ah, one of my okay. favorites. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think he's one of the great, like, modern queer cinema artists. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Just I... I, I had a passage to the whole New York Film Festival, but I broke my elbow like two weeks before, so I had to miss all of it. Yeah, it was definitely a film I had tickets for, so I'm like, when is it coming out here? Yeah, it opens yeah. in the next few weeks, I think. It should be out soon. Yeah, it should rises. be out in December, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other big one, which is opening soon, is Saltburn, the uh, Emerald Fennel follow-up. Am I allowed to talk about it, or should I not <laughs> I mean, you can talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it too much. <laughs> I... Beyond I, probably, I, probably beyond probably disagreeing with what you're about to say, but go on. <laughs> well, I did not like this film at all. Uh, it's a mess. It's 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 provocative in a like immature high school way where you're like, oh come on, like all the scenes that people are like, oh that's so crazy. They're not really crazy. They're just like, it's just it's it's not a dumb film. It's just a mess, and it just has it's it's everything is ripped off with nothing interesting to say in it. The performances are boring. It's it, she. She has um, uh, Barry. I don't know how to say his last name correctly. Keegan. 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 He he's in it in a way where like she literally and she says this because she's like, oh, I cast him because I watched uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer and I liked him and I wanted to cast him. And she literally just has him replay the Killing of a Sacred Deer guy again. And I'm like, oh, come on, do something different. Like Banshees of Inisher. And he was so good in that because he was different and he had he had a unique character to play here. I'm just like, you're doing this. 
same thing. I don't think he's doing that same character, but all right. He is because I don't I don't believe Emerald Fennel is a good filmmaker at all. I don't think she has any artistic talent. And I I was hopeful I might like this film, and I was absolutely um amazed by how mediocre, if not straight up bad, it is. And none of it intrigued me, unfortunately. So I'm glad to have seen it. I'm I'm one of these people who like even if I know I'm not gonna like it, I'm like I gotta see it just to get a sense of it and to understand it and to know what everyone's talking about where they're like this one scene. And I think that's the reason other people will see it like, oh, did you hear what he does in this? And um yeah, maybe other people will be more shocked by it than I was. All right. <laughs> I'm not I'm not usually negative, but this time I had to I had to express my true feelings on this. Anything else? Uh, no, other than the festival stuff, which is a bunch of boring documentaries and a bunch of boring foreign films that no one will ever see. <laughs> other, oh, you, you know what I watched recently and I, I liked but I didn't love was The Net because uh, it was on this Criterion tech thriller thing they added on the Criterion channel and I hadn't seen it since it came out in the 90s and I was like, oh, I'll watch The Net again and it was uh, as mid as I expected. Like, uh, I remember it being fun because everyone was like oh look at this internet thriller but i also remember it being like it's not that good and that's exactly where it was again 30 years later and i was like yeah, it's okay it's okay it has a villainous jeremy northam as i recall yeah it's just i i appreciate the idea of it handling the internet as a scary place and how we're all connected and your life can be ruined by the internet in the 90s but like none of the rest of it is really very good <laughs> unfortunately the the only thing i remember about the net is that sandra bullock like smashes jeremy northam's face at the end of like a big monitor or something like that in like a warehouse or something that, that's that's the <laughs> yeah that's something like that <laughs> for whatever reason that's what stands out to me um it's no chain reaction as far as 90s no, it's not it's go. not <laughs> Um, all right. Well, thank you, Alex. Um, I've seen a few things that I want to make note of. First is um, I'm halfway through Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. Oh, cool. Um, the new anime series that is based on both Scott Pilgrim, the book, the comic series, as well as Scott Pilgrim versus the World, the Edgar Wright film, which um, eventually we started becoming written in tandem with each other. Um, as anyone knows, I'm a huge Scott Pilgrim fan. I feel like all of us here are probably Scott Pilgrim fans, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, definitely, yes. definitely. Absolutely. Uh, um, so, you know, getting more Scott Pilgrim is certainly something that I was like, why would I not want this? And uh, this is absolutely delivering for me what I really like. And I won't spoil exactly what things go on, but this is very much a series that acknowledges that you've probably either read the books or seen the movie and you're familiar with that story. So what if we did something a little different? And by the first end of the first episode, it makes a choice that sends things in a different direction than you were used to with Scott Pilgrim. And that's great because like, I'm, you know, I was fully down with being like, okay, it's the same story of anime, but it's not that it's like a, what if scenario and i'm very intrigued by where it's going and what i also appreciate is that it gives all of the voice actors who are all of the cast from the original movie a lot more time to shine you get you know where the movie has you know the seven evil exes you get like a scene or two with them and it's like it's cool to see like chris evans or what have you like for you know a little bit this show is like what if we gave you a lot more time to spend with a lot of these characters and it really makes good use of the fact that they have all of this cast to you know deliver dialogue or what have you so i'm 
Really enjoying it so far. I love the style. The music's great from Anna Managuchi, who did the soundtrack for the video game of Scott Pilgrim. There's just a lot to really appreciate if you like this uh, this uh, this particular, uh, I guess, franchise. Um, what else? Oh, as if the um, as if the universe is like Aaron should get everything he wants this weekend. Not only did I get Scott Pilgrim, but Monarch Legacy of Monsters came out on Apple. Um, I've actually seen the first eight episodes because i have screeners and i couldn't wait to watch a show about godzilla and uh, so that's what i have done i just want to say now that it's actually out there for people um i dig it if you it's it feels like a what if we made like an x-file show but set in a kaiju universe and that's kind of what it's doing with the addition of multiple timelines because you have both kurt and wyatt russell playing the same character but 50 years apart and there's some intrigue there and i feel like if you're into like the the monarch stuff that was happening in the monsterverse beyond just the monsters of it all but like what they're like going for in the lore of it all you, you'll do this stuff to, there's stuff to enjoy about this series it's not gonna be chock full of monsters because it's a tv show that costs money you can't just be full of monsters every 10 seconds but i do think if you appreciate like conspiracy thriller stuff this show has some stuff to offer that, I, that i'm appreciating let's see i watched thanksgiving the um eli roth movie uh you guys there you hear me yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. I'm. I'm. Every time you mention something, I'm like, "Is it good, Aaron?" No, okay. Tell me. <laughs> all right. I all, all I'm thinking is, "Oh, yeah, that's on my list." If I ever have free time, yeah, I would yeah. like. I would like to watch that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I want to see these. Wait, make yeah, sure, I'm, I'm just making like, sure I'm not screaming into a void about Godzilla right now. <laughs> no, I, I, I can't wait to like. I can't wait to watch Godzilla and Scott Pilgrim, and then I'm like, oh, I have two jobs and no time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I watch. So I watched Thanksgiving. This is Eli Roth's feature adaptation of his fake trailer from grindhouse back in 2007 um guys i don't think i don't know if eli roth is a very good director i am I, I, the words out for me on eli roth now that said i seem to be in the minority on thanksgiving people seem to really like thanksgiving the issue i seem to have is i didn't find it very fun and part of that comes came with my concern that while the original trailer which is, you know, this is not a direct adaptation of as far as it doesn't have any of the same people or not, because that was over 10 years ago. But, like, that trailer seemed to emphasize, like, what if this was, like, a really ridiculous, winky, sad slasher kind of parody thing in the vein of, like, those Grindhouse movies or what have you. And this movie, as Eli Roth has described it, is what if that movie came out and was so, like, outrageous that it was banned everywhere, and now this movie that he's made is, like, the reboot of that movie. I can understand that as like an idea. I can respect that. At the same time, maybe my expectation was just like not in the right place where it's just a very straightforward slasher film and there's stuff in it that's well done, but overall just didn't do much for me. I didn't have as much fun as I wanted to have with it. So I don't know. I, I'm not, I Roth in general, I'm not huge on. I think he has some highlights in his filmography, but like not many. And like, this is the latest one where like, I don't know. Where, he'll, where he'll he'll always have my heart because he's the mother clucking bear Jew, <laughs> a character that means a great deal to me as a bear that's also a Jew. I mean, he also something he helped kill Hitler, that. so he has that going. A hundred percent. Like, thank you very much, Eli Roth, for helping kill Hitler. Amazing work. <laughs> you have a you have a a hall pass for me from now until the end of time with your the rest of your cinematic output. <laughs> So yeah, Thanksgiving, I wasn't so big on, um, but I, I know a lot of people are enjoying it a lot more than I am. Um, what else? Last thing I'll mention, I watched Nyad, 
Um, this is the bio kit biopic concerning Diana Nyad, um, who was a is a notable swimmer who like did a lot of things a lot like 30 40 years ago um, as far as swimming accomplishments but like there was this thing where she wanted to swim uh from Cuba to Florida and failed to do so and then back in recent history like the early 2010s um in her 60s she attempted to do it again and this film is about that journey it's directed by the team behind Free Solo a film that I really really enjoy um, and it features uh, Annette Benning as Van and I and Jodie Foster as her best friend uh, slash coach um, or like like her, the, her her uh, her Mick um, to, to, to Benning's to Benning's Rocky. I uh, I I think this film is good enough um, without having more to offer than what the story presents. If that makes any sense. I feel like it's it gets mm-hmm. it's able to do enough with the performances it has are stellar because you have Annette Bening and Jodie Foster well that chemistry works I like that uh but like the story itself is like well there's not much room to do anything that seems all that innovative and even the depiction of the swimming that takes place is like it's good although it makes some choices where I'm like hey it feels like we're doing a lot to try to like stretch out something that just isn't all that cinematically exciting um, but it's still like a worthwhile sports story. Like it still has the messaging. It still does what it needs to do to like get by. But I can't say I was huge on it, but I certainly wasn't like negative on it. I think it's a fine movie. Oh, did you see Nyad by chance? I know it's been. Yeah, yeah I'm also with you. I'm like, it's fine. I didn't, I wasn't particularly impressed by it. Um, yeah, I, I watched it also and yeah. I felt like they didn't know if they're making a narrative film or a documentary and they reverted back yeah, to yeah. what they had done with their documentaries. And it just, it was a weird sort of mishmash of directorial concepts, but I do love free solo. So I was kind of upset that they, yeah. It makes me wonder, and I'm not sure if there actually is a documentary already, but like, why not just make a documentary? <laughs> like it seems like that's a pretty incredible story that they're trying to tell. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> My biggest question watching it that I wanted to have answered, which they did answer, was all the logistics of like how she's doing it, like the yeah, the strip a... of light in the water, the the uh, the various things on the boat, you know, the mechanism for the shark, like all these cool things. Where I was like, oh, that's well explained and nice, but the emotional core beyond that is not good. Which is, I think, the point about like they're really good at this doc stuff, but the rest of the narrative pieces don't really come together in the right way. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I agree. So yeah, I. Uh... It's like it's a weird recommend where it's like, oh, it's not not worth seeing because I just didn't yeah, know exactly. this. I did not. I didn't know this story, but I feel like there's a better way to have portrayed it. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough. With you. Let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk. One of the news movie trailers of the week when it's coming out, when we thought of it, what have you. And this week, guys, we are talking Madam Web, the upcoming Sony Marvel superhero film. Because when you hear Sony Marvel superhero film and the live action is at the end of that phrase, you think quality. Uh, this um, this particular story focuses on Cassandra Webb, uh, who's played by Dakota Johnson. Um, and due to some accident that involves her, I assume, drinking dirty New York River water, she now becomes clairvoyant um, and starts to see things within the spider world uh, where she meets various other characters that she feels like she needs to protect to stop them from another evil spidery kind of character that's out there. Uh, the film is directed by S.J. Clarkson, who's largely done TV, I believe. But is yeah, I, I am right with it. It is TV. Uh, but here is her 
uh, feature film directorial debut in a Marvel Universe film featuring Dakota Johnson, as I mentioned, as well as Sydney Sweeney, Celeste O'Connor, Isabel uh, Merced, and Tahar Rahim. Uh, this is the universe that also brought us films such as Morbius and um, that other one, Craven, that hasn't come out yet, and those Venom movies. Alex, let's start with you. Are you excited at all for Madam Web? I can only respond to this with noises. Ugh, ugh. This looks so bad. <laughs> It looks so bad. I don't know. I when I before I watched the trailer, people on Twitter were like, "This looks cool. I'm excited for this." And I watched, it and I was like, "This is this is awful. This is every every bit of dialogue is terrible." Dakota Johnson looks like she's confused and wondering why her agent made her do this movie. I, I don't I don't even know. Like, and everyone, the other thing I saw people praising on Twitter was they're like, "It's like a movie from 2003 or whatever came back." And I'm like, "That's not a." compliment that's not a good thing here we shouldn't be praising this it looks so bad and i i'm actually questioning as much as i know i should do this i'm questioning whether i should even go see this like do i even want to go to the press screening and have a thought on it or am i like i don't want to waste two hours of my time knowing it looks this bad that's that's all i have to say <laughs> maxwell where are you with uh madam webb so I would like to assert that two things can be true at the same time. The first being Uh-oh. that it does indeed look terrible and I cannot wait <laughs> to see it. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I hear everything you're saying, Alex, and I don't necessarily disagree. But for me, it has this like early 2000s final destination camp factor in the trailer mm. that I think could potentially make it be more entertaining than the rest of this sony spider sloth that we've gotten um like you have a cool cast of these women who hopefully get fun things to do and the way that the superpowers portray could be interesting again i don't think it looks good um and and the other movies in this series are not giving me any hope for this being a a good movie but i think it looks entertaining uh in a certain way I will accept. This is why I'm like questioning. Like maybe I'll wait to see what you think. <laughs> and if you say, "Hey, it's a bad, entertaining, good movie," like one of these, then maybe I'll be like, "Okay." Yeah, and I, I, but, I, I, th- I think there is merit. There's like plenty of movies I like love watching while also being like, "This is not good." Yeah, but I'm having yeah. a good, having a good time. I don't know. I mean, it's just it's weird. It's like what Sony is doing because they don't they can't. I mean, but they it, can. it's just They're weird. Just not They're, using Spider Man. I know. Like <laughs> they could bring they could bring Andrew Garfield in. Like I don't know. It's all so weird to me. I'm just like where where are we heading with all of this? It's like the intellectual gymnastics that that Sony is is going through right now it makes my brain hurt. Well, it's funny because I, I finished Spider Man Two, the game, um, which I thought was super fun, and it has Craven in there. And the only thought I had while playing it, because that game came out when the Craven the Hunter was originally supposed to come out. It came out in October. Craven was originally scheduled for October. I kept thinking, this game would be just so embarrassing for that movie right now because the Craven plot in the game is so well done, where the movie looks awful. <laughs> so like, like what what are we doing is a good question here. Like obviously they were building up to some Sinister Six thing. Um, but I I don't see what that's i have no idea what that would actually look like when they actually like attempt to do it this movie i don't disagree with what you're saying maxwell as far as there is like because of the basic idea here there is a premise that does feel similar to like a final destination which gives it something that feels unique compared to you know generic origin story insert person here morbius venom craven like this is still doing that also it just has that extra like what if they're clairvoyant and they can see like that's something i guess i will say 
it's such a weird thing to be like madam web is a character that i feel like everybody that's any conscious has any consciousness of madam web is like yeah the old lady that's in a wheelchair that predicts that's like in some other universe and this movie's like what if it was Dakota Johnson as like a paramedic? Like what? Like what is that? What is that movie? What is? What? I I can't people have to come from somewhere, but like that's a choice. There's, there's very very much a television show with this concept, like a paramedic who can see the future ten minutes before it happens. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, that's early. That's kind of like early edition, isn't that's it? How, that sounds like yeah, early edition or like something Jennifer Love Hewitt would do. Uh, yeah, like, absolutely. Like back in <laughs> like two thousand and five, coming soon to the CW. So. I will say the the one thing that helped is that this movie at least seems to like make the effort to justify being a part of a spider universe without having Spider-Man in it. If that makes any sense. Like it's like, well, there are spider characters all over this thing. We're like Morbius and even Venom are like, we're just going to pretend that Spider-Man's not the main thing that concerns us and like be our own movie. This feels like, well, there's something there that seems to like want to connect to a greater universe that's out there, I suppose. I don't know if that's going to pay off in any way that's all that special, but that's that that's one thing this thing has going for it. Also, is this a period movie? I, I couldn't quite tell. Like, it feels like it, it might be not set like in the complete future or like now. I have no idea. Part of that's because Adam Scott's in this and he's supposedly playing Ben Parker. And that made me think, well, like, what's actually in this trailer? Like, I'm not seeing anything that's specifically 2023, so I don't even know anymore. Um, but I'm, I'm sure the movie will have some very boring answer to justify whatever the answer to that question is. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, otherwise, as far as any other intrigue goes, like, yeah, the movie doesn't look great. Like, it has a lot of uh, stuff being thrown at me on screen, uh, including people in CG spider costumes. But uh, I, I, I don't. <laughs> the, the, the based on the previous live action Sony Spider-Man Spider-Verse films as of late I, I can't say like this is the one that's going to really you know break the break through the wall and show us what they got uh, so yeah uh, Madam Web opens in theaters Valentine's Day of course 2024 so oh, how romantic <laughs> so get ready for that all right Let's move on now. Let's get let's get to our main review for The Hunger Games, colon, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. The Hunger Games, they're to punish the districts. Those tributes don't have a choice. Your role is to turn these children into spectacles, not survivors. We're live! Smile. It's why we have teeth. Imagine it was your name that they pulled. Strange things didn't happen here. I just want to know that somebody still cared about me. That I was still of value. Welcome to the capital. You look like you shouldn't be here. I shouldn't, but I'm your mentor. A rebel. I am going to get you out of here. You want to protect people. And it's essential to accept what human beings are. What it takes to control them. Let's see you use that famous snow charm. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for the Hunger Games, the Ballad of Hunger and Six. The games have returned. The original trilogy of books by Suzanne Collins, which was turned into a quadrilogy of films delivered for audiences from 2012 to 2015, were well received with Smash Box Office returns. In 2020, Collins released a prequel novel that has now been adapted to a major motion picture. 
While the time frame means none of the original cast members are involved, director Francis Lawrence returns for this story focused on the rise of Coriolanus Snow, the man who would eventually become the tyrannical leader of Pan Am. At this point in his life, however, he's merely a man on the rise who has chosen to mentor a female tribute from District 12 for the 10th annual Hunger Games. This tribute is Lucy Gray, a musician who will need all the help she can get if she wants to survive the games. Will that help lead to something more, though? Well, the odds may be in her favor. Maxwell, I'd like to know, what's been your relationship with the Hunger Games series, and what do you think of this film? Uh, my relationship has been pretty strong. I read all the books, uh, the originals and the new one, when they pretty much first came out. Uh, saw all the movies opening weekend. Really love the first two movies, a little less so on the Mockingjay movies. I think splitting the book was a mistake. A mistake, I believe, Francis Lawrence himself has come to admit was the wrong choice. Um, but overall, I, I hold the, the franchise in pretty high esteem. I think, uh, you know, we, we were awash with a plethora of young adult adaptations there in the mid-2010s. Uh, and I think The Hunger Games, by a significant margin maybe other than the Maze Runner series was the strongest of the lot and certainly the most intellectually compelling. I think they always did a really strong job of presenting ideas about, you know, being anti-war and the dangers of fascism and how uh, you, your humanity can be very quickly stripped away from you based on what you have to face on a daily basis um, to younger audiences. And the, those notions have just become increasingly politically relevant um, in the last few years, not only here, but, you know, look at what's going on in the Middle East. Um, and I think this movie is actually really, really good. Um, I think it's compelling, thoughtful, really beautifully made. Uh, I think for the budget, it looks better than a lot of movies with twice the amount of money, which to me is just another signpost is how building sets and using real locations and extras and Practical stuff is always going to look better than whatever you can do with CGI. Um, the performances are solid. I think, you know, I, I felt this way about the book too, and I'm sure we'll dive in this more. I think the structure of it has some questions that are brought up in terms of how effective it is or isn't, but I think thematically it works. And I, I had a great time with this movie and left really satisfied. Okay. Well, you mentioned um, it being a kind of the top of the heap when it comes to these YA franchises and the franchise you mentioned, The Maze Runner. Let's not forget the campy wonderfulness that is Beautiful Creatures as well. I mean, that just deserved <laughs> that deserved more sequels. That's what I'm saying. But um, <laughs> not kidding. That's a fun movie. Um, never, I've never seen it. Now you intrigued me. It's one where like Scott Mendelson and I saw it like at the screening. We're like, that was really good. <laughs> like, why is it like? And yeah. then it and then it underperformed. It's like, well, that's unfortunate. That one that one delivered with young <laughs> Alden Ehrenreich, um, of course, among others. Um, Alex, same question to you. Are, are you a Hunger Games fan in general? And what did you think of this movie? Yeah, I'm I'm very similar to what Maxwell was saying that that I'm um I love the first two. Uh I haven't read the books actually. I, I think I might have read the first book, but I never read any follow-ups. But I uh the first two movies are fantastic. I remember I was very much a, a key part of helping promote the first one, and they were like super nervous about it. Like, people are gonna like this movie. And I remember seeing it and I was like, This is great. Like, and it's it's this kind of more intense, gritty um YA thing than uh what I expected with YA, like the glossy, like, oh, we're never gonna show you violence. But I was like, this is intense and violent. Um and yeah, and like Maxwell said too, I'm I'm kinda a little bit mixed on the, the Mocking Jay movies. Um and I and I I will use this opportunity to come around and say that 
Um, when this got announced, when this new one got announced, I, you know, went on and gave a whole big, oh, I'm come on, why is Hollywood re re um rehashing and retreading familiar territory, redoing why do they why does Lionsgate have to desperately go back to Hunger Games? Yeah, I know it made them money, but they don't need to come back. And now I think two years since it was announced to when it was filmed and now released, I will I don't know what the right term is, bite my tongue and say eat that crow. Eat crow. Yeah, crow. okay, okay. 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 Eat eat mocking crow. Jay, I think is the right word. Yeah, okay. I'll accept <laughs> that. Eat mocking Jay. Because because damn it, they made a good movie. <laughs> they made a really good movie. And I think it's as Maxwell said, I think it has to do with Francis Lawrence and being able to like handle the the uh, not only understand what the core of this story is and and what's going on but also to like handle the more darker thematic elements of it um and there was an interview with uh rachel zegler recently when she was on the red carpet where she was like i just loved working with francis lawrence and i think you can kind of tell when there's a filmmaker who not only understands the story he's telling but the everyone loves working with him and that he's a true filmmaker and that he can bring to life the story he's trying to tell on screen in a really um, effective and engaging and exciting way and I was watching this just being like this is crazy good and it's crazy dark it's like I, I the, one of the first things I texted my friend when I got out I was like this ain't the YA series that we're familiar this is like super messed up kind of dark like the things that the, the mind games they play the violent things that happen like um uh, this is early, so it's not really a spoiler. But like the the snake with the one girl, the 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 the, the game maker woman, like hits her with the snake. I was like, this is some screwed up stuff going on in here. But again, that's the ultimate point of her novels and of what's trying to be said in these stories is that it's like a dark look at how humanity can turn evil, but come across not as evil, I guess, which is the core of the the um, the capital and how it works. But um. Yeah, I like 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 Maxwell said. I was like, I had a good time watching this, and even even the I was also really impressed by, and we can discuss this later. The 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 structure, same as he was saying about, um, you. It's not really about the game. Once the game is complete, which is almost halfway through, then there's a whole other story that begins. And I was like, okay, this is cool. There's something more going on here. I was impressed. I I fully admit it. I fully eat my Mockingjay. And uh, come around on this and say, "Damn it, they did a good job." I um, as far as my familiarity and appreciation for the Hunger Games goes, I've read the first three books. I never, I didn't read the prequel book that this book was based off of, but um, I've, I was certainly familiar with the, with those books before the um, well, I read the books. I when did I read the books? I read the books. No, I read it before the movie came out. So yeah, I was familiar, and then I you know saw the movies, and I rewatched the movies because I hadn't seen them since you know I had been you know since they were coming out. And it's not that I was taken by surprise that how much I enjoyed them, but it's like, no, I've always liked this series. I And I I would go as far as to say, I think it's a pretty consistent across the board series. I think the mm -hmm. Mockingjay films are fun. Like, I'm not saying they're spectacular, but I do think it's, there's not a, there's not a huge dip for me in the quality between the four of these films. And I always feel bad for Gary Ross because I think he gets like this weird rap where it's like his film was too like shaky cam or what it's like. I feel like he did the job for a movie that is, as Alex, you just described, very dark and brutal. It's like, well, how do we make that work for a general for, for quadrant audience? Well, we have to we have to make some cinematic choices. And I think it does it really well. And um, that said, Francis Lawrence, who's like sneakily been like a giant blockbuster hit maker for over over almost nearly two decades now between from like I Am Legend and onwards, because Constantine wasn't a huge hit. Um, he's just consistently delivered like big scale blockbuster stuff that generally works out. I don't know why I would have had any kind of doubts about this prequel, given that I 
I've always been fond of the Hunger Games movies. Um, but I was surprised at how much I did enjoy this film. Uh, maybe it's because I just didn't know the story uh, compared to knowing the the other stories. And maybe I had concern about like, what do you do with Coriolanus that makes him so interesting as a main character here? But this between the story and the way the film works, I, they did the job. Like I, I, I liked the that it's this like full meal of a film where it's the longest in the series because rather than splitting it up in two parts, it just does all the things I assume the book does, which includes yes, having you know an understanding of what's going on at the and the Pan Am at that time what the games are like and then yes the 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 repercussions or follow-ups or what have you that come out of the games because it's just one book i don't know if colin has any plans for any further books or anything like max would you know that offhand is there any other like plans she, she has not given a definitive answer which to me suggests we are probably gonna get i mean when you think about it it's as opposed to other series like she could pick any year and just write about that year's hunger games for sure and and that justifies potentially a new novel um yeah. So can, she hasn't she hasn't said yes or no, but I'm I feel like more she has so much to mine potentially. And we could talk about this bit as we go on with what happens in this movie, but like it does feel like there's it seems like there's potential to do more with even some of the characters that are presented here. Regardless, absolutely. Regardless, I think this movie is well done. The actually you're actually right about like the the budget's use in this film. Where yes, it's a it's weird that to say like it's merely a hundred million dollars, but. It's put to good use. It looks like a movie that costs money because they have sets and they have location use and it's really well shot. I really liked how good looking this movie was as far as giving us like great aerial shots of yeah. the lands they were going to. And They used the Berlin really well. They shot a, a lot of the city stuff in Berlin and to shoot, you know, a movie about fascism in a city that ha it has its roots in fascism. I think was a particularly smart choice for sure. So like yeah. production wise, I think it's really well done. And the other thing, and then we can kind of get into it more. These performances are great. Like across the board, mm -hmm. I really like. Yeah. Them. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we can talk about yeah. the, there's some obvious ones because the adult actors are, you know, highly acclaimed for various reasons, but Tom Blythe, I have no idea who this guy is. I don't, I have not seen <laughs> yeah. him before. Yeah. Uh, I'm aware he's in certain things um, and what have you, but I, I like, I know I, I saw Benediction, but I can't tell you like, Oh, that's the kid I'm watching. This guy is great. Like, yeah, I, yes, I, I yeah, he really is. This could have easily been like the bland, like gateway character or what have you to kind of bring it into the other world. But I thought he was really good here, particularly yeah. towards the end. I think there's some stuff mm -hmm. he has to do to convince you of why he's doing certain things, and I think he absolutely nails it. So, like, you know, there's already a lot of other great people that I'm more familiar with in this film, and this is a guy that's like, here's one to watch. I think he's really good. So yeah, I I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I thought it's it it welcomed me back to this world of Panem in a way I'm like cool like down mm. I'm, I'm happy that it's a consistent line of Hunger Games films. Yeah, I wanna I wanna spin off a little bit what Maxwell was saying about shooting in Berlin is that I really that was one of the first things I thought too at the end of the film was that it's not just that they did a great job using the Berlin locations, but I absolutely think Francis Lawrence knew that and was able to somehow work the thematics of this Berlin history into the story, even though, even though it clearly has nothing to do with Berlin. It's not set in our world. It's set in a completely fantastical, different world than we live in. I think that has a core to it. And like, I was thinking about that the same thing because I'm like, hey, I know all these locations. I've walked by this museum tons of times because I live here, but it wasn't just him shooting that museum. Well, it was like, there is this deeper sense of what this museum means and what these locations mean that plays into the fascism of the capital and what they're doing and how, and also how they're doing it, how they're like manipulating and, and 
convincing and tricking the people and um, using uh, very scarily relevant modern day things about like the bombing in the um, arena before it starts, which like scared the crap out of me when it happened. And then you're like, oh my God, they're using this to to their advantage to play up the, oh, look at what these rebels did. They're so bad. Oh, and then you're like, this is a really intricate th- film that is deeper than I expected about fascism and about authoritarian governments and how they work and how propaganda and control works and it it digs into that in a much more satisfying way than i think the first four movies did because those were so much about the game which is interesting but this is it goes back to the core of how do those games came about what does they all mean that's what we're going to explore this time and i found that so much more fascinating than watching the games end in mockingjay one and two i was like okay now i am and I'm I'm like upset by how how much this film gets to that point at the end where you're like, man, this is kind of depressing when you watch uh, him become Snow. <laughs> you're like kind of hopeful, and then by the end you're like, no, no, this is sad. This is really sad. What? Because that was the key, the other key thing to me with this. Wait, 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 real quick, before you go off on another yes. thing, like that, what you're talking <laughs> what you're talking about before, as far as like the use of the of the area and what have you, and the way it plays into the themes. That's so mm-hmm. much of what I like about this franchise. Like, re- yeah. again, rewatching those earlier films, I for- not forgot, but like I, you know, it, it reminded me of like how much these movies really tap into like kind of old school sci-fi stuff and the way they're designed, the way they looked. And like, they're really consciously trying to address certain ideas and themes where it makes it so, w- whenever I hear like, yeah, Hangar Games is just like copying Battle Royale, it's like, it's not. Like, there's nothing yeah. similar about these beyond like, kids in a death game and that was like you can name any other number of movies that are similar to other movies by you know stripping down to the like the basic components this there's something here that you you don't necessarily expect from like a ya novel series where it just really has ideas on its mind and it wants to explore them in ways that are not necessarily comfortable and that's a lot of what this film is doing like even in the glitz and glamour of it all which I'll be happy to talk about as far as how things are presented to the population versus how things actually are. I find like the way Francis Lawrence and the production designers and everything, the way they're like able to commit to this idea that there's this, you know, really awful societal structure in place and the things they're forcing them to do and like get that across within a film that's supposed to, you know, be entertaining. It's really effective. Like it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. And for a movie that's this long, I'm happy that it really try it. You know, it's a like I said, it's a full meal of a film. Like it really tries to explore all the angles it can to reflect like what it is to live in this world. Yeah, that's. I think the the point I was going to say that was related to this is also just like how much I uh, was not expecting this. Like going in, I thought Rachel Zegler's character was going to be the main character, and then you start focusing on Snow, and then the whole time I'm thinking like. Okay, we're good. This is going to lead to us learning how this guy becomes bad, and that we have to follow that journey. And that was also a surprise for me, having not read the book. It's, I mean, you, you keep mentioning that, and I will say this like, if you boil down the plot elements of this story, it's basically mm-hmm. the Star Wars prequel series. Like, you can, there's like, you can draw <laughs> Ooh, a lot okay. of lines between if you, if you put that, if you map those together, there's a lot of similar angles they're going for. And mm-hmm. what I really like, again, all respect to Hayden Christensen, but like the story did not necessarily serve that dramatic turn that all that well beyond us just knowing it was going to happen. Again, I think this Tom Blythe guy and the way the story structured, I really believed in why he yes. makes certain choices. I thought it was really yeah, effective yeah. in telling that story. I, my, I think Tom Blythe, 
Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say minus the fact that he is seems to have schemes for what he's trying to pull off in the end, but that's all I'll say. Maxwell? I was just going to say Tom Blythe ultimately does, I would argue, the majority of the heavy lifting in this movie. Everyone else is very good, but the way his character turns from, you know, in the beginning, like, oh, he's really charming and charismatic and you're rooting for him. And then as the film goes on and more and more happens, like you were saying, Aaron, the decisions he makes and why he ends up where he does you fully buy it because Tom, even just with facial expressions, or he has some more overt dramatic moments where in a lesser actor could have been really cheesy. He fully sells it. You, you understand why he feels how he feels. And mm-hmm. by the end of the movie, you can make a direct through line from him to Donald Sutherland and what we see in, in the original films. It's pretty impressive. And he's not even what, doing like what, a, he, what he's able to pull off. And he's not even doing like a Donald Sutherland impression, which is also no, not at all. He's not like not he's trying all. to like you know be that be that actor. He's just doing the character as you know written and as what makes sense for this movie. And I last thing before we can talk about other actors or what have you, but I'll just and without getting too far into like what exactly happens. But there's a scene in like a forest where he's making certain choices that are all very mental in his head as far as like what's the next move here, and that's just. I'm, I wasn't expecting to be like this, you know, like involved in this particular movie when it came to the character work as I was watching him like mentally do the gymnastics of what's the, what's the play here? What's the, what makes the most sense for how I'm supposed to deal with a certain situation. So good on, good on that. Good on this movie for like making that work as well as it does. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of the other actors. Obviously you mentioned Rachel Zegler um, who, you know, broke out a couple years ago now with West Side Story and has since been in, uh shazam 2 the one we definitely all remember very well um mm. so wow. so um now she here she is as lucy gray baird who is a character that seems to cater to all of rachel zegler's strengths because she's a musician and performer as well as like a you know a, a, a person that has to like act their way through a lot of stuff did you guys appreciate what what she brought to the to this role as the other like you know co-lead essentially yes alex <laughs> yeah you know oh, I, yeah. I, I i did i did definitely yeah, I think she's great. She obviously has a terrific voice and I like how she was able, you know, the character is more of like a folk singer. Um, and I think the way she was able to use her voice for more country style songs was impressive. She has this like enigmatic quality to her where you're never 100% sure if what she's saying is true. And I think that lets a lot of what happens later in the film make sense. Um, yeah, she's mm. she just has, she's just like, she has this, undeniable screen presence where you can't take your eyes off of her um and i think you know shazam two aside the early work we've seen from her for an actress who got her first role because she sent some tweets to to an open call for west side story she's an impressive young woman what's neat is that that you know the role is essentially like let's flip katniss around and so instead of being a warrior that has no social skills or what have you this is a person that's a performer and like that's absolutely her thing and she has no like real action skills that on paper, that's like, well, that's dumb. <laughs> but like, I did in the process of making this movie, like, no, that works. That makes a lot of sense. And the well, way it plays off Cor- Coraline is, I think it's effective. If I can go off on a brief tangent. So, one of my favorite stories about the Hunger Games is it's how, how Suzanne Collins came up with this concept. And, you know, canonically, she was flipping through her TV between like footage of war on the news and an episode of Survivor. Uh-huh. Right. And so, I think you could see the direct <laughs> ah. and I'm a big Survivor fan, and I think you can see, you know, something of a direct through line from 
survivor to what happens in the arena and the games and what you just said Aaron is really interesting because I think it also speaks to how in survivor there are different ways to win right you could be super strategic uh, and manipulate everyone you can use your social skills to get to the end because everyone likes you and doesn't want to vote you out or doesn't want to kill you or you know you can um uh, be really athletic and fight your way through and win all the challenges. And so, as you were saying, this is a flip on Katniss. It shows how even in the Hunger Games, you could take your different skills, apply it to the games and succeed. Um, and, you know, Lucy hides a lot through this, but I think at the end of the day, it is her charm and her ability to win people over that gives her the leg up to position herself as she did. Mm, yeah, well said. Well said. I, I'm, my biggest question with the Lucy Great Bear character was, what she's she's this important rev, almost revolutionary revolutionary character from district 12 yet in the future as we know from the other films she uh th like they don't know of her and i was thinking like oh katniss is the first revolutionary from district 12 and i was like wait but there was lucy gray baird and so well, I, I saw someone yeah i was gonna say i think what's interesting is her music lives on yeah, that's right. what someone so, said on Twitter. They were like, she she has a way to influence the future, but it isn't with her presence or people knowing her, but her revolutionary kind of, I think you're right, the music is what lasts through time. Yeah, like you have to imagine that the Capitol and, and uh, Coriolanus use propaganda to basically erase her yeah. existence from people's memory, but the power of her music, like the song The Hanging Tree, permeates Katniss and the rebels in the original films and what they're able to achieve. Exactly. And you could see how that, like, so her legacy lives on, even though no one knows who she is or even if she's still alive. Now, yeah, the thing I'll call to is not to keep bringing up Star Wars, but like this movie <laughs> set, what, like 60 something years before the Hunger Games happened? 64 years, yeah. Recall in Star Wars, it only takes like under 30 years for them to be like, what's a Jedi? Like they don't even know anymore. Like, so it's, it's right. It's, and they have like, you know, droids and shit. Like they have future technology. This is district 12. They have like scraps and a piece of yarn. Like that's it. Like they're not, they have, they have no means to really keep up with what's going on in the world. So the idea that's like that they've, yeah, erased, if there was... that they've erased somebody's legacy. I, I can, I can entirely buy that is what I'm saying. I like, I get, sure, sure, but, sure. but, but I appreciate what you guys say as far as like, yes, like aspects of, who she was or what have you to the music or whatnot. It's neat to see how that plays a through line, even if like the actual person is somehow like diminished in stature or what have you. Yeah. And I, I guess I thought again, that maybe uh, using another district 12 person was interesting rather than like, Oh, it could have been a district 11 or district 10 revolutionary. Uh -huh. And that, and that therefore you could have been like in the future, someone could say, Oh, I'm inspired by some uh, revolutionary from another district. But but it's just because I think back to the original thing. Oh, Katniss was the great, you know, of all time. She came from District Twelve, even though apparently there were other people from District Twelve who had had a, uh, a, a sh shaking in the foundation of the Capitol. To be fair, the games like all evolved, right? Like the the winners became yeah, like, course, they went on course. publicity tours and stuff, and they became more well known. Same with like Woody Harrelson's character; he's a District Twelve winner, right? And he's mm, that's, he's true, true, that's, true. he's someone that's well known by the time that that movie that the original stories come out, and you know. I, I would assume that the you know the second these events of this film ends and Coriolanus is doing his thing, he's probably like tearing down all the statues of Lucy or what have you to like just really erase her from the the world of District Twelve or what have you. Or he, he yeah, got a hold of all of he could have got a hold of all of Danny Houston's memory bullets from X Men Origins Wolverine and just shot all the people <laughs> so they forgot. I I think wow. with you know without I don't think it's spoiling too much. He's removing the statues and all memory of her, a because she became a revolutionary, but also because of what 
she meant to him and out of sight, out of mind, right? He doesn't sure. want to be faced mm. with that either. Let's talk about some of the other actors. Um, I, yep. Yeah, I want to mention this Adjanas Plinth guy. Josh Andres Rivera is his name. Yeah. I was very impressed by him as well because he becomes not only his performance, but in his character becoming the like, uh, okay, it's not Snow, it's not Lucy, who is the real revolutionary of this group? He is, actually. He's the one who breaks from his parents and says, I'm going to resist, I'm going to go to District 12 and help too, I'm going to try and actually disrupt and, and bring things down. Of course, his fate is sealed, but nonetheless, I was really captivated by his character by the end. Like, this guy is cool. Like, this is another surprising, and I wish I, I wish there was more scenes with him. I love his yelling scene when he's... um in this tv room and he gives his little like you guys are cra-. i'm like this was great he's fantastic yeah. in this role i kept wondering who I, who he was like who do i know, yeah. do I know this guy and he's like oh he's chino in, in west side story <laughs> that's that's yeah like, and, right. oh okay okay he's also rachel zegler's boyfriend in real life ah okay um, oh, they, they, it, they met on together <laughs> it's interesting they met on west side story and then they got cast in this independently from each other it wasn't oh, wow, like okay. she got the role and then she was like i'll do it no they just both because he he's been acting i think professionally even longer than her he was on tour with hamilton hmm. for at least a year um so but yeah i agree he's he's really really good um in this movie it's a tough tough role to play i think um tough needle to weave and he does yeah. a really nice oh, job. Yeah. And also, much yeah. like Tom Blythe, gets to have quite a transformation over the run of the film, too. Yeah. Before we get to the um, adults, I, I wanted to mention, uh, we can go with the younger cast. Uh, Hunter Schaefer is here as well as uh, as Tigger yeah. Snow, who's uh, Coraline is his older, like his cousin, right? Who is in the other, he's like, this, the, 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 she's, this is the only character that's like in the other films, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Later on in the, in the, and I'm curious because I don't, I don't like there's not a lot for at least from my perspective like this isn't like a lot for her to do in this movie but I'm curious if you guys had any different reaction like I thought she was fine in the role that they had to play but I couldn't quite quit a needle on like what why what this character was really doing here yeah I agree with you I, I guess it just it was a, a part of it and they needed to have her be there I, I was not yeah I think I think the character's interesting and I think Hunter Schaefer did a good job because you see a close, trusted, loving family member of Snow who is his ally and who is sort of his confidant. And then you know where this character ends up in the Hunger Games, the original movies, Mm -hmm. to see how even this close family tie decided to not stick with Coriolanus. And I think that's really interesting and only serves to like double down the journey that uh, Coriolanus goes on from being this you know, maybe manipulative, but charming young kid who doesn't have any money and is trying to figure it out to fascist dictator. Mm. This Which is, the is one... not a spoiler because, you know, yeah. the character's well known. But... This is the one throughout this is the one character that caused me to think like, are there more books on the way? Because it just feels like this is a person that seems to be import of importance and they're like mm. they're like prominently billed in the in the like like third build or something like that. And on the poster, it's like, okay. Maybe there's more to this or whatnot. I will note, by the way, Hunger Games uh, opened this weekend, uh, 44 million uh, for number one, uh, 99 worldwide so far. It's already like made back its budget. The fact that it costs less, significantly less than other movies, is going to help it, uh, regardless of it's not yeah. holding on to the same like box office trajectory as the original Hunger Games films. But it's not like it's unprofitable, um, which is not a lot to say compared to the Marvels, which, regardless of how mm-hmm. much we might have enjoyed it, uh, I, I had fun with it, but like. It dropped seventy eight percent this weekend, which is uh, that's a uh, yeah, that's not great. 
by any no. metric whatsoever. Um, but regardless, getting back to this, um, yeah, that was my that was my main thought because I was like, Hunter Schaffer is here. She is a close relation to Coriolanus. The film seems to want to emphasize that, and yet there's only so much for her to do. And I get that's a long movie mm-hmm. of characters, but it just made me wonder, like, maybe this is just a setup for like more Tigris stuff in the future. So I don't know. But that's maybe. All right, probably. Let, let's talk about some of these other actors because there's a, there's some there's three notable adult performances here that I really I'm saying adult like obviously the other actors are adults but you know veteran actors on the stage yeah. here and um let, I, let, I want to talk about Viola Davis because I think she's great in this movie great so scary <laughs> so scary there's a scene where like she plays um the head game maker and there's a scene where she constantly like pops up and things like in like on the TV or whatnot there's a shot where she just like suddenly pops up to like announce something in the middle of something else and it's like her big hair and like her makeup and everything it's like this character is ridiculous and i'm really enjoying it i'm just seeing like a good mad scientist in a movie like this i i remember when they first announced she was cast having read the book i was like oh she is gonna eat and she really does she's she very imposing presence very effective um really well done performance alex any additional thoughts no no i agree <laughs> yeah it's it's funny how much we've like completely agreed on everything so far where I'm like, I don't really have any dissent because honestly, I think we all appreciate everything about this, the way it was put together and presented and that there's not a lot of dissent because it's hard to dissent from what is actually really good about it. I mean, yeah, I mean, this wasn't intended. I wanted to get, you know, yeah, just, yeah, of course, I, of course. I, I know that you guys saw the movie and I try to specifically hold myself back from seeing what you actually thought of it. So I like I but I it wasn't intended to be like, let me get the only positive reviews of the Hunger Games. That said, I mean, yes, the way we're talking about it, so we certainly admire what they've done here. And it almost to the point where it's surprising to me that this movie has like a 60 on Rotten Tomatoes, like it's that it's, you know, somewhat mixed where it's like, what are the things to complain about? Like, I'd be happy yeah, to field those know. questions. Like, I, I can imagine people saying, like, it's too long or something, but it's like, too long that you didn't like it? I mean, it, like, it seems like it's accomplishing so much for well, the story can, it's doing. Yeah. Can we talk about, because because my biggest, I don't want to say issue, because it's not a huge complaint. It's more of like a curiosity is sure. the third act, and I want to get into that a little bit if we're allowed, if we're allowed to go into spoilers. Well, let's do that in a second. Let's wrap up with the actors. Okay, okay, okay. We also have Peter Dinklage here. I think he's also well cast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great, great, great casting. Really well done. There's a couple lines he delivers and just the cadence and the place he puts pauses are so delicious. I I agree. And it's not like this comes up in such a way that like it has to be mentioned every time. But like, you know, he he is a he is a, you know, a little person. And I'm very happy to like continually see him come into roles where none of that is an issue. You know, I was like, I was like the station agent was like a breakout role for him. And that was very much focused on the fact that, you know, he is the way he is. Uh, But since then, it's just like, let's just watch a great actor act. And it's just nice to see that Mm -hmm. continually play out uh, in these movies um, that he, you know, chooses a star. in. Um, And I I do think he's very good here. He plays, a, 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 you know, having Davis and Dinklage is like these two different kinds of villains, I think works quite well for this universe specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, a lot. Of, a lot of the people I have less issues with their acting more than I do questions about their character. But I'm like, performance-wise, almost everyone in this is great, and maybe that's a testament to Francis Lawrence uh, and his ability to get these performances out of all of his cast, and also the ability to like cast the right people for these roles, mm-hmm. um, because they're so well done. As you were saying with Viola Davis, I'm like, she she fits it in a way that I wouldn't have expected. But you're like, damn, this is so cool to watch her. Yeah, I, I mean, I it's with Davis, it's like. 
you don't get to see her like go ham on a role where you know she usually plays someone of like a certain kind of dignity or what have you and this is her like really letting loose which i appreciate yeah and i like that it continues sort of the like tradition of the series of every film has one or two really heavy hitting accomplished actors you're like oh they got you like they got you, Philip Seymour Hoffman. They got you, Academy Award winner. Nice. Well done. This, this <laughs> is why I always speak up for Beautiful Creatures, because it has Emma Thompson and Jeremy Irons and Viola Davis, for that matter. And they're all in this, like, campy swamp drama that happens to have magic in it. <laughs> it's like, this right. is ridiculous, but it's wonderful. <laughs> the, the greatest one... supporter of this film here. <laughs> Are you being paid for this? I don't know. <laughs> I'd be happy to accept money <laughs> to like have my continued praise for Beautiful Creatures. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely pulling in fat a, checks for your a, Beautiful a movie, Creatures love. A movie that I've seen so long ago and only the ones that I hardly remember at this point beyond the fact that I just liked what it was doing. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, the last one, of course, is Jason Schwartzman as Lucky Flickerman. Uh, taking over oh my the reins oh. for um, Stanley Tucci, and this is a joy to watch this. Oh my character. god! Oh, yeah, yeah, just yes. la- hearty laugh after hearty laugh. He is so great, so so great. There's like little things he did where not everyone else in the theater is laughing, so I had to tone down my laugh just after like a facial expression. <laughs> to me, it was when he makes like a metaphor about colors and then ties it into Lucy Gray's name, and then he makes this like very self satisfied smirk. Killed me the line maybe line of the year for me it's like a double header where he goes where, where there's like a big like container containing something in the game and he's like what if it's candy and then and then, <laughs> and, but then, and then he follows up where the thing opens up and we find out what's inside it and he and he quickly says not candy <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good <laughs> So yeah, no complaints on Jason Schwartzman here. I think he's doing the job, uh, especially during such a brutal segment of the film. He's uh, really uh, providing that that sense of comfort relief that uh, really is welcome, as dark as it might be. Um, it, and it's nice to see Schwartzman's career evolve to where now he will get a role like this in a bigger movie. You know, he does all of his Wes Anderson stuff and his other, you know, specialty projects. But now to see him as like a villain in the Spider-Man movie and now this, it's like, oh, you, you've leveled up with your career, Schwartzman. He's had a hell of a, he's at Asteroid City, which he's great yeah. in. He's had Spider-Verse. Right. He has this. He has uh, Scott he Pilgrim a, that he's in. And he's, he in had a, the, mm-hmm. he's in the Quiz Lady currently, too, which is also a, like a career uh, year for Jason Schwartzman, I think. I mean, Asteroid yeah. City, I think, is a legit great role. Like, I, like I'd yeah, love to he, see that get actually like more recognition. I think he's really good in it. I agree. Um, and, you know, the spot is very, t- it's emerging on terrifying from being bumbling. It's a good arc. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and his story isn't even over yet. And what yeah. happens to him? We got, we got more, to, more to look forward to at some yeah. undisclosed date, whenever that was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 2028. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move on. Uh, I, I guess we can talk about this, this third act stuff that presents problems. Alex, what, 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 what do you want to get into? <laughs> no, no, it's not presents problems. Why do you hate it, this movie so much? It's to answer your, answer your question of where these negative reviews are coming from. I've seen a lot of people critical of uh, this. It's not a twist, but what happens in the third act. Like the, the idea that the, the game ends halfway through and then um, suddenly you're like, okay, what's next? And then there's a whole, because I had checked my watch at this point. I was like, wow, there's a whole hour. Well, my my, more. my stupid movie head was like, well, there's not that scene where he has like a shaved head sitting in the forest with Rachel Zegler yet. So I'm like, this movie yeah. clearly can't be over. That was my exactly. Because <laughs> they, they marketed the crap out of that scene. And I was like, when are we going to see this? Um, and then, yeah. And then, it, and then it picks up and he like it, that there's those little brief moments after the game where they're like, oh, we have to send you to district 12. You're going to go there. And I was like, 
oh shit what's happening what's next and then you go through this and as much as i enjoy this third act segment which is important to his progression and, and a key part of it and uh to what maxwell was saying earlier about francis lawrence admitting that he didn't really like splitting the books um the mockingjay books i think this was him now saying instead of splitting this i'm going to keep this entire book as one big book and finish the story as uh suzanne collins written had has yeah. written it and um then you get into that my only complaint is that it's it's the most rushed segment of the movie is that i had enjoyed so much of like everything else building and building and building that you get to district 12 and you start getting into it and then like next thing they know they have this like they have this song in the forest that you see where with his shaved head and this beautiful shot and next to the tree and you're like okay cool and then next thing i know that they're like deep in a relationship and i am like how much time passed i don't know how you know I, i'm like i know they're in, in a deeper relationship now but how deep where are things going what's next and then the story progresses with sajanus and you're like, okay, then, you know, and, and then like, next thing you know, you're like, uh, threw me for a loop when I first watched it. However, I've sat with it and I've read some thoughts on it. And I'm like, and so I think all of this kind of third act stuff is what threw a lot of other people for the loop and kind of got them to say, oh, this movie isn't as great as you want it to be. It isn't this, you know, and it, of course, a lot of the criticism I've seen has said it should be two movies. And I don't agree with that. But at the same time, I do feel like this third act was a little bit moved a little bit faster than I wanted it to. And of course, it's all it's a it's a tough conversation because I also can't say he should have extended it because it's already three hours long. Like well, that's the, how much that, more can you put into it? That's the thing. Like my issues with the movie, slight as they may be, are the fact that I think the second and third acts are all both a bit overlong, despite the fact that yeah. the third act specifically has a lot it has to like get through, it would seem. Maxwell, you've read the book. Does it does this reflect like how the book goes? Does it feel yeah, it reflects it feel, the it uh, reflects the book even down to the chapter titles, like the section titles the film uses are directly from the book. Hmm. And, you know, what works on the page doesn't always work on film. And I think for the most part, it does work in the movie. What I think is interesting is, you know, the games come to an end and the first two acts two chapters, whatever you want to call it, of the movie have an intensity and a, and a narrative pulse, right? You're setting up for the games, you have the games, you have the violence, and it's really thrilling for an audience. And then you have this third chapter, which is far more thoughtful and metaphorical in what it's trying to achieve. And I can certainly understand how people who just went through this two hour or what, whatever, hour and a half, hour 45 thrill ride are now almost shoved to a very different movie. My sort of thought on it is that is super valid, but for the character arc, this third act is what is vital for Coriolanus. Yes, yes. Yes. And in so much as the movie is at the end of the day, watching someone lose their humanity as they're constantly faced with all the repercussions of fascism doesn't work without the third act. So even though it sort of doesn't necessarily fit a hundred percent with what comes before it as a whole work, it does. So that's why I think people are struggling with it to a certain point. And, you know, maybe they could have made it shorter, longer, split it. I don't know. But for what exists in this film, I think at the end of the day, it does work. It's just there's some bumps along the way. I, I have no mm -hmm. doubt that there are some lines get executive. It's like, what if we made this two movies? And I entirely praise the fact that this is just one long movie. I think that is the best decision they could have made here. Yeah, yeah. Especially because you just don't know what the return of interest is going to be on a Hunger Games film, you know, 10 years later. Like, right, what, we could have know. had a divergent scenario where we never got part two. <laughs> I, 
and we never will which is such a never never will until crackle makes an animated series featuring half of the voice (laughs) talents we're never gonna know what happened at the end of divergence i I assume it all i assume kate winslet won uh that that, or did she die she dies in the one of the movies i assume uh, naomi watts won Uh, she killed everybody else and she's on top um (laughs) that's how it goes uh and miles teller somehow survived um because he's the weasel character but no, I, I totally hear you as far as how this film is structured and I guess why there could be dissent as far and it's not like I'm asking everybody, please mm. like this as much as I do. But I do but uh, like I it, it is interesting because I do think there's so much quality stuff going on here. Like we let's talk about the rest, like just what's ha- like we've talked about the look already, like it's a good look, but I mean the design of this future, I like that since it's set before those movies, before those stories you have a kind of retro futuristic kind of look going on here. This will address this in our feedback section as well, but like, it's still like a different, like, I like that. It's a different universe. You know, it's not like this is earth at some other point. It's just like, no, this is just like a different universe altogether where the technology is not where it's supposed to, where it is in, you know, 60 years from now. So you have like old fashioned television screen type stuff going on, or like a, a more rudimentary version of the games that we see at play, despite them still using like genetic modifications and things like that to like, create obstacles in the game like that stuff just was fascinating to me it's just like the the world building of it all for this time period yeah i agree yeah I, cool. th- I think the books and the movies have done a really great job with the world building um a lot it, it makes sense in its own context and it's really thoughtful um what else anything else on this film that we haven't talked about i have them all of the music both the songs and the score are really good james newton howard's score is like dramatic mm-hmm. and bombastic brings in themes from the original but I really liked, you know, some we've heard before, like The Hanging Tree, but a lot of Lucy's songs um, were really beautiful and ethereal, and I enjoyed them. I assume yeah. you know, the character sings in the book, too, like that's a big oh, part of her character. a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Because it's such a, like, such it's seemingly ideal casting choice of being like, yeah, the new kid on the block, Rachel Zegler, who sings a lot, like, that's her thing. And that's like, the movie has a character that's seemingly perfect for her to play. It's like, yeah, right. it was one of those things where there was just like the right actress achieving the right level of success at the right time with this part. Because uh-huh. yeah, it's like, the songs not. are there and they, they factor in, in interesting ways in this film, which I was... Yeah, they did not just like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden like take a 180 and change a character to sing because they cast Rachel Zegler. I think they cast Rachel because they needed the the character to sing. Mm. You The funny thing about this to me is uh, before you guys started recording, you were talking about how it's kind of, I think it was for another movie, but how the, it becomes a surprise musical and that can upset people. And I was thinking <laughs> about that when I was watching this too, when I was like, this almost becomes a surprise musical. She has like six full songs in this movie. Yeah, or it, she it, does. It's like Nashville territory by the end of this movie. Yeah, and, I, and, <laughs> and of course, some people might not like that. But I was like, because because you what you were just saying, these songs work into the story. They're thematically sure. important. They're not. She's not just like off, you know, riffing off of something. She's what she says sings matters. That got me into it even more. I was like, this is cool to have it almost be a sneaky musical. Like, bring it on. This is great. This is I like that aspect of it as well. Another thing that surprised me about it just made me appreciate it even more is that it is a sneaky musical. And I'm I'm gratified they did that because I remember when they announced the mo- the movie, having read the book, I was like, gosh, I hope they keep the strong musical element because you could see oh, good, going good. going a very different way where they sort of tone it down or cut it out. And I think that they just went. And I think this, you know, that people have different thoughts on the phrase like for the fans. And I don't I don't want to go off on that tangent. But in so much as this is a really popular book series, keeping the things that made the book what it is in 
and then making it work in the film is great. You know, you're not upsetting anyone. Okay. Well, I guess the last question I have, because I've already brought up the notion of are there other books or are there more story? Would you want to see another entry in this that would focus either following up this film specifically or maybe just in the world in general? So the movie ended. My partner and I are standing on the street and I turned to her and say, if they made a feature film about every single Hunger Games that happens between this and the first movie, I would go and watch every single one. Okay. So yes, is the answer. <laughs> if they keep that. up the quality, of course, too, you know, hopefully it's not diminishing returns. As long as Lionsgate keeps Francis Orange chained to that big ball in their office. Please, like, please, this. please. Yeah, <laughs> let him go do Constantine 2 and then come back and make eight more Hunger Games. I'm, I'm sold on exactly what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm I will go back to my eat mockingjay slash crow comment and say I could I could tell you right now no I don't want to see it no I don't want to see it but but again they got me and if they can continue this it I I just I don't know where there's a certain point and I know Aaron you'll reference Star Wars again but there's a certain point in this <laughs> where I'm like no because it's exactly the same problem with the Star Wars prequels where I'm like at some point I'm tired of you stringing a pre prequel story into what we already know with other movies. And I want something more other than, oh, everything's going to lead to what you've already seen in the other four movies at some point. And I was convinced enough with this movie, but how much more can they draw that story out? And how much more can they, just, like, you, you, because you know what happens, because you know where it's leading. And almost like, like I guess my thought is that there is never going to be, at least in these 60 years or whatever, till the next, till the till the ultimate Hunger Games, there isn't going to be a revolution where someone brings down the Hunger Games. That doesn't happen until we these movies we see later. So there's no potential for that. So there's no hope for me to feel that way and to feel that, that something like that could happen. There is enough in this movie that makes me intrigued by it especially with Sejanus's character. But other than that, I'm not I'm not sold enough to be like, oh, maybe one of these movies will show someone trying to bring down Pan Am and, and the Capitol because that's not going to happen. Right. That's an interesting way I, to pull I, it. Because I, 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 I agree with you as far as there's only so much you can really do without yeah, diminishing yeah. returns on the actual outcome of those stories. Like you can't keep doing more Coriolanus stuff because... I, you, 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 we've, I think like I feel like I've seen the essential element of what that arc is, where the rest of it's just like inevitability. But if you attack it from different angles, there's certainly something you can do there. And again, if it's up to certain quality levels, then yeah, I'd be happy to see those things. But I can't. Yeah, like mm -hmm. like an hour and forty five minute movie about young Hamish winning. Exactly, that's exactly like, what I was thinking. We don't, yeah, we okay, don't, okay. We don't know <laughs> how he wins. We don't know what that arena looks like. And then you just have Snow and the other characters there as small supporting characters. And you really shift the focus. Like, I'm not saying they, they should, but I think that something like that could work. And I, mm -hmm. I, I think uh, you mentioned um, the Star Wars prequels. I think this movie makes the Fantastic Beast movies look even worse. <laughs> and I don't I don't hate those movies. I, I somewhere, yeah. whatever. But I think it makes them look, you know, it, this shows how you can thoughtfully do this prequel to a successful book series and movie series. And that stuff is just messy. I would agree that I'm more emotionally tethered with this Hunger Games stuff than I seem to be with the Fantastic Beast stuff as far as like yeah. where it's all going. Yep. It's, a, Grant, it's Grant, amazing I also, to I don't, me. I don't think about either of these very much in my off time anyway, but still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I know how I felt in the moment. So. Fair. It's amazing to me to be this praiseworthy towards it because a year ago, if you would have asked me that I wouldn't, or even a few years ago, been like, oh, would you be more excited about Fantastic Beasts and Harry Potter or this? And I would never would have thought I would have been praising this more than all these other franchises. But here we are.
Well, it's just great that both creators of both of those stories have continued to, you know, reign in popularity and positivity. That's that's the thing we can really uh, stand behind on <laughs> when it comes to both Collins and Rollins. Um, all of that true. Oh boy. None of that uh, side-eyed. Uh, okay, I think we've talked sufficiently about this film and the fact that we quite like it a lot. It's currently playing in theaters and IMAX. So when should people go and see this movie? Maxwell, when should people see this film? I, I would advocate to see it in whatever premium format you can imax rpx dolby it looks great it it like i saw it in rpx and the, the seats were shaken go see it biggest screen you can alex i would say uh depends on your excitement and interest in the franchise it's not the end of the world to wait to see it at home however if you want a good experience and based on all three of us speaking so positively about it absolutely if you feel intrigued to go see it in theaters now and to get that big screen experience. But if I have a friend who's just not into it, I'm going to be like, eh, you can wait to see it at home and it's fine. Yeah, I would say go see it in theaters. I mean, line reading of the year. What if it's Kendi just needs to be here doing like all the speakers possible? <laughs> I mean, I think it's just, yeah, no, this movie, I think, delivers really well. I was very impressed. Um, again, weird to say more than I was expecting just because I'd never thought down on the Hunger Games movies, but that's the way the internet treats things. It makes it seem like it's bad when it's not. Um, so no, I, I was I was quite the fan. So yeah. All right. Well, we've talked sufficiently about the Hunger Games. Now it is time for a game of our own here, because it's time for games. That is, of course, the improv theme for games. And I have a game for you guys this week. I'm sure you're excited. This game is called Feast or Famine. It is a game where I'm going to present to you several films um, that are all based around the idea of characters that are either struggling to eat or wanting to eat, um, you know, a a more high-class meal than they may be used to. And what I'm going to do is read the taglines to these films, and you have to guess what the film is based on that. And um, I might give some hints if it's becoming too hard for you to realize what the movie might be. Uh, If you feel you know the answer, buzz in with your name. Then the answer. Make sense? Yeah. All right. Here's the first one. Welcome to a magical kingdom. Welcome to a magical kingdom. I will say this is a film set in a very particular state. Maxwell. <laughs> Maxwell? Oh my god, what's it called? Uh, the Florida Project? It is the Florida Project. You're on the board. Okay. <laughs> One point for Maxwell. With Willem Dafoe. You know it. There's everyone's favorite character. Lovable mm-hmm. hotel manager. <laughs> Here's the next one. It looks like a scam, but it's more than that. It's also a family affair. There's a second tagline I'll read now as well. Act like you own the place. You know, I'm so bad with taglines. Okay. <laughs> ones to remember. This is you, a, you know what? You yep. know what's amazing about podcasts is dead air. What I what I edit Aaron's this, gonna edit it out. Yeah. What I what I edit this, it's gonna sound like you guys are whip smart, <laughs> or I'll or I'll double the length of some of these. <laughs> uh, this is an Oscar winning film, multiple Oscars. Maxwell. Maxwell. Parasite. It is Parasite. Mm. Okay. There you go. None of a gun. Two for Maxwell. Here's the next one. Might be tough. She's the one in every family. I'll give you a big hint. (laughs) This is a Thanksgiving film. Can you repeat that? She's the one in every family. 
for some reason I heard you say she's the one in every family. I was like, yeah. I don't even think that makes sense. <laughs> she's the one in every family. Oh, Thanksgiving. It's a Thanksgiving film. Thanksgiving film. There's only the holdovers. What are you talking about? No, that's not even things. There's Thanksgiving. <laughs> There's Thanksgiving. Uh okay. Uh-huh. Maxwell. Yeah. Pieces of April. It is Pieces of April. There you go. Oh wow! I I, I was going Good through job. my mind like, what Thanksgiving films aren't there? It can't There's be not many. Tra- yeah, can't exactly, be pla- exactly. It can't be Planes, Trains. Yeah. So it's got to be the the Katie Holmes classic. Here's the next one. At the edge of the world, his journey begins. The edge of the world, his journey begins. I've heard of this again. I, I Alex, like, I, no, it's gonna be wrong. I was gonna say Ice Age, but that's not it. <laughs> This is a. Let's see how do I what do I not give this away with? There is an unusual buddy element in this movie. Okay, mm. I, yeah, I got it, Maxwell. Yeah, Castaway. Castaway is the right answer. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're gonna get one, Alex. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about that. I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> taglines ain't my thing. This is such a vague tagline. I'm gonna read it anyway. In a moment, the world changed forever. Now that's terrible. That is a that terrible be, tagline. It's that so... could be. You could probably apply that to is, every movie ever made. Mo- ever made. That is the worst tagline. I will say this is based on a dystopian novel. Um. Uh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> In a moment, the world changed forever. It's based on a dystopian novel. Um. What else? What doesn't give this away? Um, the author is well known for other uh, more crime based, still more crime and western based stories. I would say. Okay. Okay, Maxwell. Uh huh. The road. The road is the correct answer. The crime. What? The crime what? thing. Well, In the crime moment... thing did it for me. Oh uh, no yeah, yeah, Cormac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah, a moment, Cormac, the yeah. world changed forever. That's such a. Well, like, what is that? Yeah. You said you said dystopian, and then you said the author wrote crime stuff. No, I'm no, like, no, no uh, I'm, probably, I'm happy you got it. It's just like that tagline <laughs> choice is such a. If you saw that in a no, poster. It's... You could have put that. You could have put that on this movie on Songbird and Snakes, and it would have been, you know. I mean, like Finding Nemo could have that tagline. It's fine. Like it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Father of the Bride Part Two could have that tagline. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's the next they one. Have... Fight your way to the front. That's like a war movie. Now remember, this is films about characters that are either starving or in need of a fancier meal. Right. Fight your way to the front. I will say we learn that the characters in this film that we're following are eating something that is undesirable. Oh, uh, Alex Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer is the correct answer. You're on the board. There, that makes sense. When you said undesirable, I was like, this can't be Soylent Green. I almost (laughs) similar. I almost almost had that in this game. By the way, spoilers for this game. No Soylent Green. (laughs) Here's the next one. Welcome to Pi's Ark. Uh, Alex, Alex, Life of Pi? Life of Pi is correct answer. Mm. There's another one that was just way too easy. I thought somehow this one was yeah, a harder, this was a harder yeah. one. <laughs> Here we go. Into the heart, into the soul. Because <laughs> hmm. I just want to say into the heart of the sea, but that's, that's too ridiculous of a tagline to go with <laughs> I will say this is a, I guess, a, but you consider it a biopic. It is from an actor turned director. Uh, Maxwell. Maxwell. 
Into the wild? Into the wild is the correct answer. Mm. Into the heart, into the soul, Mm. into the wild. Yeah, that Ah, makes sense. Into the sea. Yeah. The character was often very hungry. Yes, yes he was. Here's the next one. An odyssey in which the smallest gestures become epic and when the body is the last resource for protest. Wow. Uh... What? I will say this film is uh, notable for one very specific scene that is lengthy. Uh, Alex, uh, d- Children of Men? Incorrect, but on the right track as far as what I meant mm. by lengthy. Mm. Or or atonement, if I change my answer. It's not, it's not atonement. <laughs> I'm going to keep going through the long scenes until I get it. Can you repeat the tagline? An odyssey in which the smallest gestures become epic and when the body is the last resource for protest. That last word plays a huge role in what this movie is. Yeah, now I'm thinking of protest movies. Mm. It is from a very uh, a, a, a renowned British director. Which still sounds like Children of Men. <laughs> who would, no, he's Mexican, sorry. Who would direct um, the main actor in this film in, I believe, two more movies after this. Mm. One of those performances is nominated for an Oscar. Ugh. We're taking a long time. The answer is Hunger. Hunger is the answer to this question. Oh, right. Michael, McQueen, with Michael McQueen. Fassbender yeah. in that famously yeah. long scene of Fassbender and um, what's his yeah. face or Game of Thrones talking in a room for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, <laughs> yeah. wasn't going to get that. Fair enough. <laughs> Here's the next one. Help is only 140 million miles away. That's this far. also sounds like Castaway. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, Alex, um, uh, uh, God, the Mars movie. What's it called? What could that Mars movie be called? <laughs> oh, <there's always> somebody... <laughs> no, it's the other one with uh, Matt Damon, um, uh, with the potatoes. Uh, why am I forgetting the name? What could this be called? Mars. Uh, what are words over, for Mars? You're overthinking it. Red Planet. No, that's not it. <laughs> Can I steal? Alex, I, I failed. I failed five, because I can't remember four, the name. Three, um, two, one. Uh, no, no, Maxwell. Okay. It's called the Martian. The Martian. Ah, son of a bitch. The, simple, the <laughs> simplest title possible. <laughs> but I can the only think simple. of Red Planet, Mission to Mars, all the other damn Mars movies. <laughs> the only simple, simple, more simple title than like Dude on Mars. Yeah. Or just, or just Mars. <laughs> Mars. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Next one. Two more. A true, a true story of survival declassified. Hmm. I will say this will probably give it away pretty quickly, but uh, this film was a documentary made into a film by the same director. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, oh, God, another one I don't remember the name of. Um, I know the documentary name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, Alex. Rescue Don. Rescue Don is the correct answer. Little, little okay. Dino learns the fly. Whatever, whatever is... he learns. Yeah, the fly. yeah, that's the documentary yeah. on Mars. Okay, the um, the last one here. <laughs> this is so difficult. I shouldn't even have this on here. <laughs> but, uh, the road leads itself to somewhere. <laughs> the road like, leads I, itself I, to somewhere. I want to. I want to say Wizard of Oz, but that can't be it. Uh, this fe- this is a '70s film featuring two actors that you would that we would regard as some of the greatest actors to ever do it in a film together. Serpico, you have one of the actors 
<laughs> of course. Okay, okay. You can narrow um, this down. Uh, Maxwell. Maxwell? Scarecrow. It is Scarecrow. You got oh, the right damn. shaggy vagrant. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, the Serpico, when you confirmed the Serpico thing, that's what did it for me. Yeah. Pacino, I think Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman, yes. Says yeah. Two, I saw that movie. I saw that movie years ago, but I was like, oh. Two hitchhiking okay. vagrants that are doing anything oh they can God. to make a little bit of money. I'm so glad I spent two years studying for movie trivia when I used to do that competitively. <laughs> There's a scene in Scarecrow where Gene Hackman like is like taking off his layers to get ready to like go to sleep or whatever, and he he's wearing like nine layers of clothes. And Pacino comments on it, and it's the funniest thing. It's a very good movie. It's 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 a good weird little movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Maxwell, you uh came in first by a long shot this week. Alex, you got on the board though. You got on the board a few times there. So good on you. I got a couple. I got a couple. For sure. But Maxwell, you are a winner for this week's game. Oh, thank you. Congratulations. My mom would be so proud I have all this useless information in the recesses of my cranium. Damn right. (laughs) All right. Well, that was your game. Let's move on. Let's give us some out now. Feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over the various questions and answers based on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash podcast. I asked a number of questions to the listeners and they gave us some answers. Alex and Maxwell, feel free to throw in any answers you might have as we go through these questions. Uh, first up, what are some great films featuring deadly games of some sort? The lovely Anna Bosch has 13 Zemetti. Philip has Gladiator. Chris Cleland writes Battle mm-hmm. Royale and my fave Ready or Not. Graham Loft writes the Arnie classic Running Man. Joe Jans has the Belco experiment, which got a lot of likes. So a lot of mm-hmm. building a cult mm-hmm. audience for the Belco experiment. Um, Irene Johnson has Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome because one shall enter, one shall leave. Death Race, I would say. Death Race, okay. Scott Mendelson has Deadly Games also. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, Saw. They're playing some Deadly Games in Saw. Sure. Yeah. Cube as well. Cube. Yeah. Mm, does um. Uh, the does rollerball count? Sure, of course it does. It's oh, oh, game. Absolutely, yeah, Jonathan. Yeah. Jonathan. Um, it's not a a movie; it's a TV show. But I think Squid Game would certainly apply here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, you know, and the, in twenty thirty two, we'll get Squid Game the movie. So, yeah, you're probably what, right. <laughs> Alex, are you um, just... no, what's the other one with the this the the seventy sci fi one where they uh all get killed after thirty four or whatever. Uh, Logan's room. That's not. That's not. Yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just. That's just yeah. the society they live in. <laughs> yeah, but there's this like weird thing where they swirl around the center. But I guess it's not a game. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. They die nonetheless. I'm gonna throw out there. Um, what was I gonna throw out there? Uh, I mean, like speed racers. He's pretty dangerous, guys. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, I. I mean, um, they, they get into little rubber balls or whatnot when they crash their cars, but still, not, not as seems like a. Uh, series seven. Oh. There's a mm-hmm. movie I haven't heard of in a few years, Series 7. That was a pretty cool movie, but it's definitely Deadly Games. Yeah. That was like prescient, too, as far as... It really was. Because like, it it's, really like it's like a reality TV type thing also, right? That's like part of the... the yeah, thing. yeah. You have to imagine, like, because it came out, what, 2001? Survivor was like 2000. It had to have been like right yeah. off the back of that. Yeah. All right, next question. Name some great mad scientists for movies. Irene Johnson writes Young Frankenstein. Sorry, Young Frankenstein. Uh, Todd Levino has Dr. Pretorius from The Bride of Frankenstein. Good answer. Mm. Joe Jans has Dr. Heiter from The Human Centipede. Philip Hurd has The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and The Testament of Dr. Mabuzi. <laughs> and Chris Cleland has Crank from The City of Lost Children. And Christopher Hill has Sebastian Kane from Hollow Man. 
great mad scientist. I mean, I mean Doc Brown. Doc Brown, sure. I thought you were going to mention the, the doctors from Crank. <laughs> I was like, ah, that's a good. There's some mad doctors in there too. It's yeah, true. They, they, they got hearts and plants. They got heads and jaws. Yeah, they yeah, seem yeah, to be doing yeah. some stuff. <laughs> I, I will cannot... also. No, go ahead. I can't remember the character name, but the doctor from Eyes Without a Face. Ah, okay. Mm. Which is a great movie. I just I can't remember the character name. Well, I'll throw in Antonio Banderas's character in The Skin I Live In. Mm. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Super good. Yeah. Very good movie. I will also add uh, this year, this year's Dr. Godwin Baxter, Willem Dafoe and Poor Things, a, a uh, soon-to-be-iconic Mad Doctor. I, I can't wait to see that. Good forward to that one. I like that the preview they're showing for Poor Things in theaters right now is the one where like Emma Stone's talking about taking the role, because I assume the movie's like, so bug oh, wow. it's weird, where they're like, we can't just yeah, show a yeah, trailer because yeah. people just won't like get it. We need to have yeah. Emma Stone talking as a regular person to describe this movie to you. It's exactly what you just said, Eric. <laughs> Uh, next question. What are some great films featuring a re- retro-futuristic design? Philip has Blade Runner and 12 Monkeys. Irene Johnson has Brazil. And Chris Cleveland has Dune, the Lynch version, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Beyond the Black Rainbow is great. Dark City. That's a good answer, Beyond the Black Rainbow. <laughs> That's... Yeah. Gattaca, of course. Brazil. Metropolis. Brazil. Yeah, yeah, Brazil. Brazil, yeah. I mean, a lot of to... a lot of sci-fi usually does this. It's like it's like a common thing. Uh, Back to the Future Two mm-hmm. has yeah. some pretty cool stuff. You can reach back to like Metropolis and Destination Moon and stuff like that too. Yeah, uh, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Oh yeah, Sky, Sky Captain, Captain and yeah, the yeah. World of Tomorrow today. I was actually thinking about that movie the other day, so that it came up organically in conversation today is delightful. I- I'm annoyed that like. I like that movie, but like if I watch it, I'm like, am I not gonna like this anymore? <laughs> like I'm so concerned <laughs> if I put it on again. And I'm like, I'm gonna like lose the affection I have for it. Um, okay, next question we have. What are some great what are who are some of the great game show slash talk show hosts from movies? Kyle Levin now writes to Richard Dawson mm. in The Running Pan. Uh Philip Heard has Leave Schreiber in the French Dispatch. And Chris Cleveland has The Tooch himself from the Hunger Games films. Hmm. Some great uh, talk show. My in my favorite movie, uh, Philip Baker Hall in Magnolia. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. It's Jimmy Gator. I like when he because he's like he's like he's like in dementia, right? That's his character. Yeah. I, I, when he like starts rambling on about like one question, and he like even admits it's like, oh, I kind of gave away the answer there, but I, I just love yep. like that's such a like a, such a weirdly human moment. <laughs> it see. is. Other great game show talk show hosts from movies. Mm-hmm. Uh Oh, I like um Emma Thompson in this late night movie. I don't know. I got better reviews though, but I really liked her. In that. It's because it's a bad movie, Alex. That's why. You know. <laughs> okay. Uh, Stephen Fry in V for Vendetta. Mm, oh, yeah. that's a that's a good answer. Yeah, it's great. The yeah. Emma Thompson stuff is fine in late night. I think it's the Kaling side of stuff that really bothers me because it's like okay, okay, okay. You okay. know how late night shows work, and that's not how it works. You've done this. Yeah, that movie was unfortunate. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, you're wrong. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, we're not, this, isn't, this isn't a podcast about late night. Okay, we're not... I'm trying to think of others. I know there's, there should be some others that I'm not thinking of. Um, yeah, I mean, he's not a Dave game show host, but the I've got I buy that for a dollar guy at Robocop. <laughs> Seems like he's selling some <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Um, a lot of movies use like the real talk show hosts. That's the thing it. too. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like you know the non like Lenos that pop up and like isn't this weird? 
Like, like when it comes to like addressing like real world plot, he's like, oh, Spider-Man, that's weird, right? I can uh, think about more TV ones, honestly, than... I will say, I just, because I watched The Quiz Lady not too long ago, which I think is fine, but Will Ferrell playing an Alex Trebek-like character and playing it sincerely, he's really good in it. Like, he's mm. one of the highlights of that movie. Interesting. You finally get to came, come full circle from his he, yeah, he truly uh, came Celebrity Jeopardy days. Yeah. Um, oh, any anyone from UHF, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll throw I'll throw them in. B- Bill Murray in Ghostbusters two playing like a talk show host, I think is actually mm. pretty funny. It's a an area. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you what my anti answer is, and that's De Niro in that uh, in Joker, that clown movie. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. He's a not good. <laughs> no. Not, no. No. Not at all. Like he's doing the work, but the movie presents him in such a way where it's like. This is weird. Like, this is like this isn't effective at all. <laughs> all right, next question we have here: What are some What are some great films about characters who must battle to the death? Uh, Anna Bosch, the lovely Anna Bosch, once again has thirteen Smetti. <laughs> it applies to both films. Both the questions: uh, Chris Cleland <laughs> writes Death Race two thousand and Battle Royale. Uh, Philip Hurd has Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers, and Justin Weatherby has The Running. Okay. Films about characters who must battle to the death. This is very similar to the first question. You know, you're not the first person to bring that up to me. But I do think they're <laughs> I do think they are distinct questions. <laughs> Fine. Three yeah, three hundred but... uh as well. Yeah, Kill I think Bill. with this one you could you could answer more like gladiator or stuff like that if you wanted to. Kill Bill, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Jaws. It's either one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mad Max, right? I guess they all fight each other in Mad Max. Plus, there's the whole in Mad Max three. There's the the, the literal Thunderdome. Yeah, two men under one of my knees. All right, we can keep moving. What are your favorite musical sequences from non-musical films? Todd Lehman has the Deo sequence from Beetlejuice. Chris Cleland writes Twist and Shout from Ferris Bueller and Jennifer Connelly singing Sway in Dark City. Philip Hurt has the country road scene in Logan Lucky. That's a great answer. That is a good answer. Justin Weatherby has would be the beginning of Guardians. Would the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy count that dance sequence? Super fun. I'd say it counts. Sure, it's a fun musical. Yeah, sequence. yeah. Why not? Musical sequences from non-musical films. Uh, uh, I love the opening of After Yang, the dance sequence. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh Heath Ledger in Ten Things I Hate About You on the Bleachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I like uh uh the scene in Clerks Two. Um, set to the Jackson Five song, mm-hmm. kind of becomes a big dance number. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's weird because like they're not necessarily musical sequences, but like like when Tarantino like lets the music do the work for the character, I do think mm-hmm. those are like fun musical sequences. Like they open yeah. up the Reservoir Dogs, or like the um, when like Uma Thurman's dancing around in the house before she takes the drugs and ODs. Like there's stuff like that where. The music's the primary driver of the sequence that I think is effective. Yeah, yeah and similar to that, and you said the word driver, there's a lot of stuff like that in Baby Driver that works really Baby, well. Baby Driver, of course. Yeah. Um, Back to the Future again in, uh, in his whole rock band yeah. scene. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 500 Days of Summer. There the you Hugh go. Lewis and the News mm, song. Yeah, yeah, cool. that, yeah, yeah. All right. Last question we have here. Who? Are, what are your favorite cinematic prequels? Todd Lebano has Rogue One, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Bumblebee. Philip Hurd has X-Men, Golden First Class. Luke Thompson, friend of the show, has Ringu Zero. And Chris Cleland has The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. 
Um, it's, it's new and, and, uh, was sort of designed interesting, but Pearl. Mm, yeah. Pearl's great. It was great. And um, it is a prequel sort of. And, yeah. uh, so this movie is a prequel, but it's a prequel to TV show. So you could argue the semantics of it, but Twin Peaks fire walk with me. Right. Yeah. It's a movie, movie I love, and it is technically a prequel as one that's caught up on all of Twin Peaks for the first time. Um, to some degree, I watched the first season before I rewatched it this year. I'm so into the world of Twin Peaks now. And yes, I really like that movie. And yes, I yeah, that's a good answer. Um, technically, this is a prequel thanks to some shenanigans. Uh, Fast Five. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say the Rise of the Planet of the Apes trilogy series yeah recently. sure yeah but not Absolutely. to mention a couple of the other apes ones from the past um like escape from the planet of the apes as well really good one hmm. i that is my favorite of the those sequels and it, it is an interesting like weighted because like if you want <laughs> i i would love to do more talk on the planet of the apes franchise because i really love yeah, that yeah, franchise yeah. and yeah. it's such a i can't imagine what audiences think when it's like you see beyond the planet of the apes, you're like, there's another one? <laughs> like, what are we what are we what are we doing next? <laughs> What's happening here? Any other prequels? I'm trying to think. Godfather Part Two, I think, is a Yeah. Uh Good, yeah, the Bad and the Ugly. Uh, Good, the Bad and the Ugly is a prequel, and it's a great movie. Yeah. There are plenty I won't mention, like the Hobbit trilogy. F that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said fa- you said favorites, so yeah. yeah, well, that doesn't count. That's my point. <laughs> All right. Well. That's enough feedback, 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 feedback. And that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode about Now Theron Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog. Bleh. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I write for We Live Entertainment for movie reviews, Wise is Blue for Blu-ray and Criterion reviews, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Maxwell Hadid, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Cinemaxwell. I have a, a link tree there. You can also follow my theatrical production company at Ember Products. That's P-R-O-D-U-X. Uh, and uh, episode six of my podcast, Let's Slay with Swell and Jay, is dropping today. You can find that wherever podcasts are found. We talk mostly about theme park stuff, so it's a lot of fun. Very cool. Alex Billington, where can people find more of you? Uh, as always, at, on the usual places on Twitter, or X at First Showing, uh, Letterbox slash First Showing, and at FirstShowing.net. My usual spots. Very good. Thank you. Okay. You can find all the other episodes about now third name on iTunes, audio and Spotify and Stitcher. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast.com. Follow us on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We have various forms of slash out now underscore podcast or what have you. And of course, iTunes reason ratings once again, good to get those helps out the show. Uh, next week, we'll be talking Napoleon. Stay cool. tuned for that. Napoleon will be the main review of the week, but stay tuned for other bonus episodes as well. Cause there's still plenty of stuff to review as a whole. Um, I do want to wish everyone in America a happy Thanksgiving um, and everyone else a happy holiday season if this applies to you in any way whatsoever. Uh, and happy Thanksgiving, especially to the British, because without you, this wouldn't be possible. Um, <laughs> Bam! <laughs> um, Alex, Alex, Bang, and Max, man. Alex and Maxwell, thank you very much for joining me this week. Thank you for thank having you. me. Thank <laughs> you. I know we have a few British listeners and I like to do that. That's fun. Um, but seriously, everyone have a good holiday season uh yeah so that's gonna do it for this week's episode until next time so long and goodbye there's blood on the side of the mountain there's writing all over the wall 
Shadows of us are still dancing in every room and every hall. The snow falling over the city. You thought that it would wash away the bitter taste of my fury and all of the messes you made. Yeah, you think that you got away, but I'm in the trees, I'm in the breeze, my footsteps on the ground. You'll see my face in every place, but you can't catch me now. Through waiting grass, the months will pass. You'll feel it all around. I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere, but you can't catch me now. Now you can't catch me now. But you thought I'd never do it. Thought it'd go over my head. I bet you figured I'd pass with the 